Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. So welcome to episode 23 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm going to be speaking to a gentleman by the name of Dan Gippel, who is a United States um, citizen originally, but a United Kingdom resident. So you'll hear the American accent, uh, but he is doing most of his work, as I understand it, in the United Kingdom. Now, I spend a lot of my life looking for inspiring stories, and it's very rare that I find them in my professional world as well as in the world of personal development, where I spend a lot of time. And certainly the work that Dan does with his company, Better Points, really has um, really inspired me into what's totally possible using the ideas of loyalty strategies to really change behavior for the better. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation about behavior change for health, mobility, and sustainability. So without further ado, let me welcome Dan Gipple to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hi, Paula. It's good to be here. Great, great, great. So uh, great to talk to you. Um, I know you're in, um, in the UK on a sunny day today, and you've had a busy week uh, talking to lots of people about behavior change. Um, so before we get into talking about better points, I wanted to ask you, first of all, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, uh, let me think for a second. Um, I think I'm going to go with... Um, there's an, there's an old statistic that I think is still very much true today, that in business to business, uh, that most customers, about two thirds of them, actually stop working with a company, not because of the quality of the product or service or the price or the quality of the per quality of the service, just mm -hmm. simply from the quality of relationship. That if they wow. perceive that the cust the company is not reliable that they're, they're not responsive, that they don't have the right amount of empathy for understanding of, that, of who they are. People mm. will leave primarily for that, those reasons. So historically, it's about two-thirds of people leave not because of the, the product or the price or the quality, but because of the relationship. Wow. Well, thank you for that, Dan. I certainly haven't done yet enough interviews or even enough work myself in B2B loyalty, but um, I think intuitively we all know that the relationships are critical, but the fact that two-thirds are leaving purely on that basis is, is quite terrifying. So, um, yes, I, I think it's, uh, as you said, an old one, but definitely a good one. <laughs> I think these things are human. They kind, of, they, they kind of stamp, you know, I don't think the world's changed that much since this first, first study came out. Fantastic. So, Dan, I know you are a passionate student of human behavior. And the reason that I got in contact with you was particularly because of a loyalty program that I saw the BBC doing a particular clip about. Now, I don't think the BBC do a huge amount of documentaries on loyalty programs. And the particular one that, um, that they featured was called Bella Mossa and was based in the city of Bologna in Italy. And I just loved the headline. Line. It basically says you get free beer and free ice cream simply for going on a bicycle ride. So tell us, you are the loyalty platform provider behind the Bellamossa program. So tell the listeners all about Bellamossa. 
So Balamasa arose uh, out of a relationship that we were able to develop uh, by, we work with an EU fund called Climate Kick, which stands with the climate knowledge innovation community. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the European Innovation Technology Fund. And in that, uh, we, we, have, we had the privilege of getting to know people across Europe uh, in similar fields like mobility and sustainability. And we, came, we, we were introduced to, to the uh, city of Bologna. Mm. And uh, this goes back to 2017. And Bologna is an interesting situation because it's about 3,700 kilometers of very, very old roads and mm. congested streets. And over a million people go in there every day. Wow. So it's really a tough place for traffic, really difficult. And you have a lot of tourists and very, mm. very busy atmosphere. Uh, so the city of Berlinia, Bologna, uh, organization called SRM, mm-hmm. uh, which is entirely around mobility uh, for the city. Um, we started working, first of all, in the first year under, uh, under a grant, a climate kit grant with them mm. uh, to do the Bella Massa program. And mm. Bella Massa is a kind of a dual meaning in Italian. Uh, it means good job, uh, mm-hmm. but it also means beautiful move. Oh, nice. So, so it's a nice, there's a nice duality to the name. And we didn't think of it. Um, <laughs> they were, they were, they were, the, the whole branding for Bella Massa was developed and executed uh, by two full-time staff of SRM, um, Marco Amadori and Giuseppe Liguori uh, okay. in Bologna. And uh, mm-hmm. both two, two great guys that we worked very closely with. Mm. So they, they developed the branding and the whole concept. And in fact, um, they were very, very knowledgeable and talented people. So they were actually the first people we worked with, first partners we worked with, who we were able to turn to them and say, you can run our back-end administration system yourself because they were knowledgeable enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was the first real live proof and putting of our uh, software as a service and capability for other people to run the whole platform. Mm-hmm. So what we did for, and it was, uh, it was for a period of time during the spring and summer, uh, both 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's really interesting, the cultural differences between the UK and some of the other areas of Europe. Uh, and I have to hand it to SRM and Bologna. What they did was they actually launched this program and it was entirely around uh, sustainable mobility. Uh, and as you come into town, please walk or cycle take public Mm. transport, get out of your car, Mm. and you would be rewarded with points that you could then uh, go to it. And again, yes, go get a beer, go get an ice cream, (laughs) get a cinema ticket. And they launched it. They made commercials in the cinemas. They had events in the street. And um, in the first six weeks in 2017, there were something like 25,000 downloads of of, of the app. And we created a Bella Mossa branded app on the Better Points platform. So 25,000 in six weeks, our servers about melted down because we hadn't had, well, it was so funny because out of the blue, our technical people were witnessing every morning at about seven o'clock at eight o'clock in the morning, UK time, our volume was just going crazy. It was, so it was really, really great fun for us. And, and it really helped us develop. And basically over the two years, what ended up happening was across the two years, 22,000 people in Bologna participated. And what the research showed is um, that 78% of them actually walked more. 63% used their cars less. And about 60% cycled more. So there was really radical change in the behavior 
of the people that participated. And we actually had about 830. And when you look at the numbers, the numbers are terrific. There are 800,000 foot journeys that we were able to track because our, our the Better Points platform has a GPS tracking app where you can track the different travel modes. So you can, see, you can actually see in your app if somebody is walking, cycling, riding the bus, taking a train, et cetera. Great. Okay. Um, so everything and, qualifies basically. Yeah, it's all, yeah, and but we even track the car journeys because we don't reward okay. the car journeys, but we want to know <laughs> if they're in a car. Yeah. Okay. And then, then we'll send a message and ask, was this a single car journey? Okay. Um, because we want to determine, we need to, every time we do a program like this, we have to be able to identify uh, who are the people driving in the cars uh, mm. on their own. Mm. Um, and, you know, for many people, they don't have, a, you know, they often don't have a choice. They, there may mm. be something in their life that says, they can't, they, you know, sorry, this is the only thing I can do uh, mm. because of who I am and where I live. But other people have choice. Mm. So anyway, it, you know, there's about a half million public transport journeys. Uh, we got well over 5,000 people to start car sharing. Uh, wow. 600,000 people took cycle rides. We had something like 85 corporate partners. We mitigated nearly one and a half million tons of CO2. Wow. And it was a huge success. And yeah. what was amazing about it, Paula, is it was it just the whole culture really caught fire with it. And we found that this story was actually, it was really kind of propagated across all kinds of media. Uh, we found it on the World Economic Forum website. So mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been terrific for us. And it was a great result. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, they, you know, it, the, our platform did its job. Mm. But a vast amount of the success of this is right down to mm. um, Marco and Giuseppe, who did an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal job wow. with SRM. Okay, well, well done, Marco. So we'll uh, we'll definitely link to uh, the BBC interview on the show notes, and we'll make sure to link to Marco's profile as well. Absolutely. And obviously, and I think I said to you, Dan, before uh, before we came on air, that in fact I don't usually uh, talk to technology providers on the show because you know there, there's a consumer um, you know intention behind that. But for something that drives social change, it's something I'm so personally passionate about that I really believe in what you're doing. So. Uh, um, so it's really great to be able to talk to you about it. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's an amazing case study. And I suppose one of the reasons I really liked it was, I suppose, the EU funding model. Because I think, yes, with the best will in the world, we would all love to be rewarded with free beer and free ice cream, you know, purely for getting out of our car. Maybe, you know, I don't know how many times was required. But tell me about the, the funding model and, and the EU. And is that the type of thing that other listeners in Europe would be able to consider applying? for? Well, the European Innovation Technology Fund has a range of funds in it. And one is like the Horizon 2020 program, which mm-hmm. has a whole different set of streams. And there is a very, very big stream in, under Horizon 2020 in the area of mobility, and they have different streams for sustainability. Mm. And then they have these knowledge innovation communities. So they'll have EIT Health, um, they'll have EIT Digital, and then they have the, the Climate Kick organization, each with different focuses. So if you're a small company mm. um, or an academic, uh, you're, you're, if you're in a university, it's well worth looking at these funding calls. They mm. do require amount of co-funding, so they don't just give you 100% of the grant if you're a business. Okay. Um, so you have to be able to match uh, find a way to match or at least put in a third yeah. Yeah. Uh, to do it and qualify. And that's, mm. that's never been easy, but I think the, the benefit of this 
mm-hmm. is you get connected into this incredible network mm-hmm. of all the exciting innovations happening in in in, in universities and research institutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got connected to all kinds of businesses. So we work very mm-hmm. closely with an organization called Data Group in Italy. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was delivered, that came completely out of Climate Kick. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a number of companies across Europe we work with as a result of it. So mm-hmm. if you're a small company like we have been, mm-hmm. uh, it is a way to just get very right in the midst of an ecosystem of wow. really incredible innovation and talented people. So I, I highly recommend it. But you do have to keep your eyes open, watch the mm-hmm. co-funding and the administration of it. The mm. reporting for the European Union, I, th- I think you can imagine, is yeah. fairly, fairly non-trivial. Okay, okay. Uh, so it's a serious thing, but it's well worth it. Yeah, for sure. And I've certainly done some work myself, Dan, with um, Enterprise Ireland, um, which is a fabulous institution. So again, I know what the accounting requirements can be like, um, but I think it's important to be able to justify the funding. And, you know, we we all know that uh, budgets are tight. So if you're going to be applying for grants like this, I think there's absolutely no harm um, to maybe make sure that we do all of that measurability at the end. Absolutely right. And and it, it teaches you some good disciplines too, by the way. Great. A little bit painful sometimes, but you know, (laughs) you get through it. So that's one fantastic case study, obviously. Um, But I'd love to go back to, I suppose, why did you get into this whole business in the first place, Dan? So you've described yourself as an entrepreneur and, you know, there's clearly a lot of technology capabilities that you guys have. But why did you decide to focus on this particular area? Well, I, I originally came, started out of marketing and sales, and I was working for AT&T in the States doing international advertising. And I was offered a job uh, all too many go- years ago that I want to say to come mm. over to uh, <laughs> the United Kingdom and mm. work for, I first worked for Young and Rubicam, mm-hmm. uh, and then I worked for Ogilvy and Mather. Mm. And I, I was in, at that time, there was an organization, Ogilvy and Mather, called Ogilvy and Mather Direct that Mm. had this whole battery of terrific accounts. Mm. And I ran the BT business, but there was also Amex there. There was uh, a huge amount of charity accounts. And so uh, it was, it it was that organization was knee deep in a lot of loyalty programs at that time. Mm. And I had a chance to work very close with BT and I was commissioned every year by BT to do a review of all the major loyalty programs in the world. Wow. So that was just like manna from heaven for me because it was great because <laughs> I, I just spent, I just spent, you know, over a period of months gathering detail, gathering the mail packs, gathering the brochures and, you know, really doing full blown study of all these programs and, uh, and look, looking at the results and talking to people and then providing a report to BT. And what that led into was Ogilvy also did a whole bunch of real good studies back then in customer service and satisfaction so it was just this wonderful incubation period. Uh, and then I was finally commissioned by BT to do a full-blown, very lengthy study on loyalty. And, uh, and it took me about six months to do it. And it led to this whole revelation. And, uh, you know, there was th- people back, I'm going back 20 years or so, but there was Bain and Company and a guy named Frederick Reichfeld and a bunch of other people who really carefully pointed out the difference between uh, repeat purchase, customer satisfaction, and customer loyalty. 
And, all, and we call all these programs loyalty. And they are loyalty programs. And, you know, you can split hairs if you want. But there is a, a real simple truth that a customer can be completely satisfied. They can like your product. They can like your price. But if something better comes along, they'll go. Um, but that's not, no, that, you know, just because they bought the product again doesn't mean it's loyalty. And so we got in this whole thing of customer retention. How do you, you know, I did a lot of consulting to help people retain customers. And the, the reality is that um, customer loyalty is much more about emotion. It's much more about affection. It's, it's, it's customer loyalty is really like, let's say I, I, I've got a great, uh, a great product, got a great TV set. And I love that TV set. But then somebody offers me another one that's just as good, and mm-hmm. it's, and it's, but it's a lot cheaper. Mm. So why wouldn't I get that TV set? And it might be just because somebody in that the, the TV company that made my TV did something great for me for customer service and actually reached out and did something nice for me yeah. where a bond was created. And that yeah. may not be the best example, but there's this... So what this led to was I just found this fascinating, uh, the yeah. whole emotional affection of bond. And then that led into behavioral theory. Okay. So, so then all of a sudden you start looking at things like personal constructs theory and self-determination theory. And there's theories for everything out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, what are the, what are the intrinsic needs of people? What are the drivers when they buy products? What's, tr- you know, what are they trying to satisfy? Yeah, and you have this whole wonderful field out there of behavioral economics, and behavioral change, where all this stuff has been studied. You know, really for the last twenty years. You know, you have the whole behavioral insight team that spun out out of Number Ten. Mm-hmm. They did they did wonderful things here in the UK in the last ten years, according wow. to, according to Nudge Theory. So wow. I've just always found it a really fast. I'm sorry, that was a bit long winded, but I, I always find it's a really <laughs> yes. incredibly fascinating topic. Um, and and one, frankly, that people I just don't think people look deep enough about what what's really going on psychologically. Why why did that person stay with yeah. that organization when there's clearly yeah. better products out there? So, Dan, I know one of the things that you have done a huge amount of research on is really the whole um, psychology of human behavior. And I think for anyone who's running a loyalty program, they mightn't have had the the time and the opportunity um, that you had. For example, you mentioned that British Telecom commissioned you to study loyalty programs for over six months. But if we haven't had the luxury of that level of, of study, where would you recommend that a loyalty manager can go to get a really good understanding? Understanding of either behavioral theory or human psychology. Well, okay. I mean, as as you're probably well aware, Paula. I mean, you can go online and you can find all kinds of you can find lots and lots of theories out there. There's sure. there's, there's there's more than a few. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's I think there was two that I really started with, um, and then there's a third one that actually is within the Better Points platform. Um, but and I think. There's a couple that are really interesting from a loyalty perspective. One is um, personal construct theory. And personal construct theory is really where somebody is in their life going through experiences. And as they have experiences, they're, they're performing, they're, they're, they're developing perceptions. And out of that, they're constructing um, out of those perceptions, beliefs, behaviors, attitudes, and a just construction of their worldview. Mm. And in that, and in that sense, uh, I mean, let's take an example. Um, 
let's say I was very young and a student and I had to ride an old dirty bus mm. to my school every day. Well, yeah. I would have a, you know, growing up that probably wasn't thrilled to do that. It probably wasn't great for my self-esteem yeah. as I saw people driving by in fast, fancy cars. And as I grew up, I probably told myself, I don't want to be on buses anymore. Mm. And there is a reality in, in, in bus transport that the people's perceptions are very, very out of date in this country. And wow. it's something that the bus yeah. operators struggle with. But, and the reason being is people had experiences. Mm-hmm. They dealt with staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they had, and, it, and, it, and so they built this construct that says, I don't want to ride a bus. Um, so trying to get someone 20 years later in, in marketing terms to break through that construct is tough. So I like construct theory because if you can actually look at a, a psychographic group and go, okay, what are their, what's their belief set? What are they constructed? What were their experiences? Okay, how do we begin to work with that? Um, a second one that I think I, I always find very, very useful is self-determination theory, which is really based that, you know, this is people have three core intrinsic drivers. Uh, that they're always trying to meet in their life. And the first one is autonomy and that they're an independent person. No one's controlling them. They have the right and freedom and opportunity to make their own choices as an individual. Um, The second one has to do with that they feel like they're competent. They know what they're doing. They've got skills and they can demonstrate that competence in their life. The third one is just simply that they are able to do these things, but in relationship with other people. How do they relate? How do they feel they're perceived by other people? And in loyalty program terms, I mean, just take an airline program. Just take a classic mileage plus program or something like that, which I think is a great program. But you look at the issues of how do those programs and the different point levels, areas of reward, the preferential treatments which are all great and wonderful, how do they impact on people's self-esteem? How do people identify with that? How are they satisfying their sense of what the, how they want to be perceived? And am I able to make, do I have any choice of where or how I fly? I mean, all these things come into play. Um, so I, I, I like those two theories. I think those, from a loyalty perspective, I think they're really fascinating things to look at. And the Better Points platform um, there's a there's one there's one loyalty I mean one behavior change approach um, called COMBI, which is C O M hyphen B, which stands for Capability, Opportunity, and Motivation. And this is uh, this is a behavioral theory. It's kind of a combination of behavioral theories developed by Professor Susan Mitchie out of University College London with some other other people. And it's basically saying when you're trying to market to somebody trying to change somebody's behavior, um, you have to ask the question is, do they have the capability of doing what you're asking them to do? Sure. So if you're asking people to come out of the car, Mm. well, do I actually, can I walk? Am I able to walk? Mm. You're asking me to walk. No, I'm 75 years old. I've I've got arthritis. I can't walk. (laughs) Um, So do they have the capability? Do they have the opportunity? Mm. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get out of my car. Mm. There's no sidewalks. There's no safe place for me to walk. Yeah. And the third one, which is motivation, mm-hmm. is what you're asking me to do 
is that issue impacting on my sense of self? And is that giving me a choice? Or do I feel like I can decide how to do it? Mm. You know, so these, the, so the self-determination theory comes into this third component. Mm-hmm. So we've actually taken that combi theory and we have a person who works with us on our, on our, on our management team by the name of Hannah Bowden, mm. uh, who's getting her behavior, behavior her, her uh, PhD in behavior science right now. And her work has been taking this theory mm. and turning it in what we call digital behavior change techniques. Okay. That when you're working on customer journeys or user journeys, or you're developing a loyalty program, or you're moving people through steps, mm. there's certain things you can do through communication, messaging, social media, content, incentives, mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, et cetera, that will hit those areas in that motivation model, in that behavior change model. Okay. So it's actually over time, from mm-hmm. a better points perspective, we're getting increasingly, increasingly rigorous how we do this. Mm-hmm. So that may be more than your listeners need. Okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, those are three different models that you can go to go Google tomorrow, yeah. uh, right now, and have a look at, and they're For- well worth it. Absolutely. And I think previously, Dan, you'd also mentioned a couple of books. Um, One, I think Fred Reichfeld, who, um, as we both know very well, and if you have any way of helping me get him on the show, I would be eternally (laughs) grateful. (laughs) I don't know him. I don't know him, but I I do know he's the person that uh, was, you know, his book, Loyalty is Not Free. I think that's the title. Yes. Uh, It was a real revelation to me. That's a great resource. The other one that I liked, and this goes back 20 years, but the other one that I really liked uh, was a book that said customer satisfaction is worthless. Oh my goodness. Uh, by Jeffrey Gitmer. And, okay. uh, and that was, I hope I pronounced his name right, but that mm. was the basic message that, mm. you know, a customer can be completely, utterly satisfied. Hey, I'm really happy with your company. I like mm. your product. Mm. Sorry, I'm leaving. Mm. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. How frustrating. I mean, marketing managers around the world are listening and, and absolutely connecting. Um, so thank you for those, Dan. Um, super useful. One I will add into the show notes as well that I found fascinating um, from reading last year was a professor from Stanford University by the name of Yu Kai Cho. And he has a whole um, gamification model, which really looks at the um, eight core drivers of human behavior. And I know he runs core and all that kind of stuff as well. So again, I think for anyone listening who really wants to understand the, the deeper human psychology, there's some good, uh, again, quite nerdy models um, that people can go and completely um, get stuck into because we can all resonate. Again, they're, they're, they're common to every human being on the planet. So you've probably come across his work as well, I guess, along your way. Well, I haven't, you know, it's funny. You just give me one. I've I got to go to that as soon as I get off the recording <laughs> and take a look at it. There but you we go. Use game, we use gamification all the time. So in the Bella right. Massa program, yeah. uh, we, we use a technique called gamification loops. Okay. So as somebody first enters a user journey, they will have one kind of experience. And then based upon what they did, they go into a different loop of gamification. Mm. Um, and so it's, and ideally the gamification gets increasingly personalized okay. to who that person is, yeah. where they are and, you know, what travel mode are they doing or what, t- what level of exercise are they doing? Yeah. Um, and so it, the whole idea is you're, you're continuing to, I mean, there's all kinds of there's angles to this that work in combination. So mm. there's this fascinating stat. I mean, I mean, the whole world out there has bought wearables and Fitbits and things like that. But there's a reality, and I want to be careful here. I don't know the exact stat, so I don't want Fitbit to hear this or come sue me or anything. Okay. But I, I, um, 
tell us my, your yeah my, my my understanding let's just say it that way and i might be okay. might be off by some points of magnitude mm. but the within a first few months of somebody getting a wearable mm-hmm. um i think it's roughly about a third just stop using it. okay and if you go out six months you're i think you're at least around 50 percent stopping using it wow and and it doesn't mean these these devices aren't great because they are great. They're terrific. Of course. Yeah. Um, they're wonder, you know, incredible, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've got one sitting in front of me right now. Mm. And the but there is a reality that to keep people engaged and to keep using things or keep them in a program, mm. um, it has to be gamification is one great way to do it. Mm-hmm. But the device or the program in question needs to be able to recognize. Mm-hmm. Who is this person? Mm-hmm. Where are they at in their mm-hmm. own journey and whatever the topic is? Yeah. And how does this system increasingly respond in a tighter and tighter focus over time in a more personal level? Okay. So, okay, so, so example, for example, uh, William, I, I saw that you walked uh, half a mile longer last week. So why don't you do this? And by the way, we'll give you an extra, you know, 200 points or an extra prize draw if you bring a friend this time or attend this event. So you actually start at better points. We have implementation people and Mm. engagement people who watch the programs live. Wow. And we break people into groups, Mm -hmm. segments, Mm -hmm. and we try to personalize the journey as much as we can. Mm-hmm. watching what individuals are doing. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't yet do that on an individual battle level. We just can't do it yet from a system point of view. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. let's go out two or three years when we're able to, to further, def- we've got a, a very strong vision for using machine learning uh, and good people who know what they're doing in this. Okay. So we're kind of, we're progressively moving forward. We're, okay, so we're, you know, we're, the content's more personalized, the messaging that comes back through the app, the feedback, the praise, the gamification loops, all of these things occur mm. and you'll notice I'm not talking about points much. Yeah. Of course. Um, you know, I know the name's a bit misleading, better points, but yeah. you know, we're not, you know, the incentives is just one component of this. And one of the things that we do with incentives is what we're looking to do is, so we might use financially backed points to begin with or financially backed points for prize draws. Mm. But if we do our job well of behavioral change, mm-hmm. by the time that person has been through a couple gamification loops, mm. they've gone out, They've moved to past 150 minutes a week of physical exercise or something. Mm. They've met mm. a friend. They've socialized. Now they're, they've moved from financial engagement to emotional engagement. Yeah. And now you start moving into the area of true loyalty. Yes. Where you're actually, you're actually, people have built some affectionate bonds. Yeah. They've built some self-esteem. Yeah. They've hit those markers. I made the choice to go for this walk. I feel confident now that I could run. I didn't feel like I could run before. Mm. And I really feel motivated to do it. Mm. Now you're talking. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're actually quite fortunate because we're dealing in the areas of physical health, physical activity, Mm. how people, you know, riding a bus and all this stuff. I think loyalty, some of the loyalty programs, things that people are trying to do sticky loyalty with, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're a retailer or a particular product category, mm. I think it could be tougher because I'm dealing in areas that are actually pretty emotive. Of you course know, you really are. Serious yeah. stuff. And I think there's a real challenge for marketing loyalty managers out there who are actually running programs mm-hmm. for product categories mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily off the cuff that emotive. Yeah. 
So I think there's a real challenge in how you actually build these programs and user journeys and experience to hit that kind of true loyalty market, that, that, that whole thing of, oh, yeah. I really feel an affectionate bond with this brand. Yeah. I think, I think it's very challenging. It is challenging, Dan. And I don't know if you came across, um, there's one very good press release, in fact, and I've talked about it on the show before because it comes from um, the loyalty program that I love most in the world, which is Vitality down in South Africa. And sure, I'm sure okay. you've come across that one. But in fact, your, your point about wearables um, is one that Apple released um, some very interesting statistics. And it's because of the 20 years of expertise, I think, that Vitality bring to the party. Sure. So Vitality obviously have a combination of um, multiple reward mechanics, which yep. um, is, you know, I suppose, um, you know, a combination of instant gratification, short-term rewards, longer-term rewards, obviously, you know, phenomenal communications and segmentation. But Apple, you know, did testify that um, the combination of the Vitality program using the Apple Watch did see st- sustained behavior change. And Outstanding. That is outstanding. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what you're saying is, you know, you do need the expertise and the understanding of the human psychology to make sure that you build a program that you know will be delivering results in 12 months time, not just in 12 weeks time. So I love what you're doing in terms of self-esteem. It's something I'm, I'm very passionate about. So so you're, you're definitely in, in an area that I love. And I know, again, offline, Dan, you talked about, um, you know, you know, you guys are interested maybe in, in working with other loyalty programs and, you know, maybe in a sector that is more functional um, and more transactional and using, I suppose, your kind of emotional approach to, to loyalty to kind of connect in with bigger loyalty programs. So maybe talk to us a bit about how you see um, some opportunities for partnerships with maybe some of the listeners. Uh, yeah, this it's one of our key areas that we're focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, but let me just say, you know, a few categories. We're running, we're running a really interesting program right now around recycled electrical goods. Okay. And um, electrical retailers in Europe are under some fairly severe obligation to ensure that at least 60% of the products they release in the market are recycled properly. Wow. Um, the problem is they got no data connection. Uh, to the customers. So yes. unless that customer fills out the warranty when they buy it, they don't know whether how long the pr- customers kept that product, where that product ended up. Mm. So we're working with them to where we actually motivate the customer to recycle an electrical product in at a particular location. So we're able to track their product and the brand and we're able to feed back that data back to the electrical manufacturer. Okay. So they can then turn around and hopefully build a circular connection back to that customer for repurchase. Mm, wow. So this, so you're tying in the customer wanting to do something good for society, mm-hmm. being to come in, they recycle the goods, mm. and then the, the, the theory is that electrical manufacturer will mm. recognize that and praise them for it and give them some sort of offer to repeat purchase and stay with that brand. And I, and I think for electrical manufacturers, probably, you know, whether it doesn't matter if we're talking TVs or refrigerators, I think I think getting sticky loyalty can be pretty tough these days because a lot of it's very commodity. Um, there's a few others. Insurance company, we're, we're actively working with insurance companies right now uh, on terms of churn rate. Insurance is, is facing massive disruption. Um, it's like automotive, take automotive insurance. 
Um, you have these incredible new car subscription models or shared subscription models or models that move away from classic ownership. And every single one of those has insurance as part of the package. So if you're a classic car, just car insurer where you're offering car insurance, you know, how are you going to compete with that? Um, in health insurance, there's a lot of disruption too going on there in terms of who provides insurance and what can be. So trying to help an insurer retain loyalty, reduce churn rate is something that we think we can help a lot at because we're all about how people move, whether it be physical activity or health or how they travel. So those two, you know, that kind of industry is a natural for us and we're looking forward to that. Uh, we've talked, talked with a major, major grocery supermarket chain. Uh, that has a major loyalty program um, about how do we motivate people to increase their purchase of really healthy foods. Love it. Yeah. Um, particularly amongst demographic groups that don't necessarily do that very well or don't have necessarily the economics to do it. Okay. And that's a, that's a very serious issue. For um, sure. Uh, because a lot of times people don't make sure. And back here you are, back to capability and opportunity. Do people have the budget to buy some of these foods that are actually really, you know, much better for them. Um, or do they have the time? Do they have the space to do? It? So it is, you know, there's, it isn't like you want to do a program where you're quote preaching to the choir. You want to get to demographic groups that actually really need these healthier foods and they need a way to afford them. So giving them a loyalty and approach that motivates them to do it, but also with the offers you know, the discounts or the, or the two for ones or whatever it is in a way that they really recognize. And of course, it, you know, it goes without saying, yes, they want to build a loyal, loyal customer base out of it. Yeah. Um, so, so these are all kind of works in progress for us right now. Amazing. Amazing. And I particularly love the point you made earlier, Dan, about, um, you know, just progressive behavior improvements. And yeah. I think that's something, you know, um, again, I, I study as much of this as I possibly can myself. And it is those small behavior increments that really add up over time. And as loyalty practitioners, I think we have to be patient. And it's not something I'm always the best at, at being, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> but but genuinely, you know, from a, from a commercial perspective and and just from a human perspective there's no point expecting you know overnight sensations we have to be in this for the long haul so so I love that you're doing that kind of machine learning approach in order to understand if somebody has made progress versus last week versus last year and having yeah. the communication cycle around all of that um, so it sounds like you're doing great work um, one that particularly interests me is um, I suppose the whole field of uh, different psychological change. Um, so, for example, sorry, I mean like uh, mindfulness behaviors and meditation. Okay, sure. So, oh, and sorry, I should say for listeners, sorry, there are aircrafts that fly over where you live, which we can't uh, <laughs> we can't I'm, suspend. Sorry, for the I'm, I'm only 20, 20 minutes away from Heathrow. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Not to worry. We, we, we'll have to just, uh, the, the subject's so interesting. I think we'll just um, miss, miss the aircraft. But anyway, um, so yeah, I guess the key question for me is just around, do you see um, or have you explored, there are some, you know, pieces of wearable technology now around the field of meditation. Um, so I don't know if that's a field that uh, that you guys are going to get into or or is that something that you see as um, quite far down the track? I think it's a really interesting field. And I know that there are, there are companies out there that are doing really terrific work uh, in that. And there's no question that use of app-based wearables or just phone-based 
apps can really help on helping people move along programs of mindfulness and meditation, reduction in stress. And I think it's a huge value. And I think one of the areas that we are looking at is the area of mental health, particularly at work. Um, and if you look at the statistics of the levels of stress, uh, anxiousness, worry, um, the levels of absenteeism uh, that are occurring, is, uh, I hear statistics between a cost to the UK economy between 70 to 100 billion pounds a year, uh, which is, is kind of like the unknown, you know, it's just like this huge kind of saber that runs through the profits of companies and it's companies up until recently really have not recognized how bad it is. So the, so there are uh, programs that are very, very successful in helping people uh, to do breathing exercises, um, to have kind of program timed uh things that, that help you walk through periods of meditation. And I think these things are immensely, immensely valuable. Um, it isn't something that better points on our development path is really focused on because we, we are more around the area, uh, things that are more around physical activity. Okay. Now, yeah. now that being said though, um, the statistics that go around, if you can get somebody who's in a deep cycle of inactivity. So if you go up to you know, any NHS, you know, trust has these, this wonderful chart slide of a circle of deep cycle of inactivity of how over time, somebody who doesn't feel well, they sit down on a couch and they don't move. Uh, they don't eat very well. And then they kind of don't, then they feel worse. And then they try to get up and do something that doesn't go well and they get down. And it's just like this, this huge negative circular path that people go down. And if you can get people out of this, you know, de depression, self-esteem, everything goes to the floor. If you can break people out of this and get them up past 150 minutes a week, the whole area of stress, uh, anxiety, depression, these things just get so much instantly better just from getting out and walking you know, the endorphins come back alive, um, they, they get sunshine, they get vitamin D, they begin to feel some self-esteem. And so we believe that what we're doing does very much in the same territory for mental health as some of these other things. But it's just different. I don't see that as our core strengths, oh, but okay. I do think it's immensely valuable of what other people are doing. And I think you make a really good point, Dan, because I, I know every single one of us as human beings knows that it's when we need it most that fundamentally, unfortunately, we feel least like taking these um, behavior changes. So anything you can do and clearly are doing with the platform in, in terms of driving that behavior change and incentivizing it, making it social and building those emotional connections is inevitably going to um, yeah, to help with that overall um, mental health. So, so well done. It sounds like you're doing great work yeah well this one no you may be reminding me something we've got we've got some wonderful people uh on our firm and we've had a wonderful woman by the name of carrie french who spends a lot of her time just talking to our users and um and uh she has been over the last couple of years just continuing to go and capture user stories okay and every week or so, she'll release another user story from one of our programs. And she's always talked to these people personally. Mm. And you know what really, you know, really comes, consistently comes out of the user stories is people suddenly have hope 
again. Wow. And this is something you don't talk about in business terms very, very much. Yeah. But if somebody's in a deep cycle of activity, inactivity, or they've, they've been ill, many, you know, we constantly get user stories of people who've actually had cancer or they've had, you know, mm. uh, heart trouble or they haven't been able to do the things that they want to do. Mm. And, it, and, and you make the point that it's when you're feeling worse, you don't want to do anything. Yeah. You don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the fact that you could something comes along and helps motivate yeah. and get you going, then all of a sudden, you know, a bit of hope comes back. For sure. And, and it might I just be yeah, the free beer, sorry, or the or the free ice cream, you know. <laughs> <laughs> free ice cream. I think yeah. we're simple creatures, Dan, you know. It's 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 not that complicated. Let's it's just not that complicated. It's absolutely right. That's really cool. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, I think you're doing great work, Dan. I'm totally inspired, as I said, by the um the approach that you're taking, by the depth of knowledge that you've got in better points around what drives human behavior, and the fact that there is, you know, a company like you guys really driving. Um, sustainable change. So just before we wrap up, is there is there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on for listeners? You know, Paul, I, I just think I'm really pleased to have the chance to just talk about all this. You don't get, you don't get very much opportunity to just kind of sit and just discuss all this. So I'm very grateful you gave me the opportunity today. Thank you. No problem at all, Dan. Well, listen, keep up the good work. And um, yeah, I'll make sure all of the uh, listeners have access to um, links to everything we've discussed today. So I will just say from my side, thanks a million for talking to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show. Music